10th day of January of the new year 2024. Happy hump day to you. I'm Derek Hunter. This is the Derek Hunter podcast. And uh, since last we spoke, the University of Michigan actually won the damn game. It really, it happened. It's one of those things I did not expect it to happen. I'd have wished that it had happened. I'd hoped that it was happening. I Even while it was happening, I was sort of sitting there going, is this really happening? Should I say it? Should I feel good about it or whatever? I just had to kind of sit there and let it happen. But um, it happened. Again, I'm not the biggest University of Michigan fan in the world, but my dad was a big University of Michigan fan. And that's why it hit home with me. That's why it matters to me. And that's why I'm happy about it. And I'm happy for the, the team and everything. So... There you go. Thanks to all of you who sent me messages and whatnot. That was very nice of you. And say you were not fans, but you were rooting for the University of Michigan because of that. I thought that they did uh, quite well. Um, by the way, I uh, recorded some of this before the. This is late in, in the evening. Now, I watched the. I'll say something about the uh, the town hall on Fox with uh, Nikki Haley. So let me start off by saying, the ta- I watched the town hall with Ron DeSantis. I thought it was better. But my problem, I realize it might not be with the candidates, although Nikki Haley did have a very bad couple of weeks. My problem was with the moderators. They are terrible. I'm sorry, but they are terrible. And it's it's really difficult to watch these people who, God, they act like they leave a bathroom after a night of drinking and, like, Taco Bell regret, and they leave that bathroom smelling like a rose. There's just no way. It's just no way. They are so self-absorbed, so self-righteous, and so ill. They're unable to, incapable of, seemingly, ad-libbing going with what's going on. They go to the script. They interrupt. They're like, look, we got to get to another question. And then they lose all track of time. And Fox is so bad as a news organization that they can't, maybe the other networks are too, but they can't call an audible. They can't call an audible. All right, nope, we got to interrupt. We got to shut this down. We're running out of time. Well, are, is it, are you a news network or what? You've got to stop a news, actual news event, a real live, honest to God news event so you can go to an opinion show. Should not the news event preempt the opinion show? Couldn't you say to Laura Ingram, look, we're going to be five, ten minutes late. We're just going long on this. And that's just how it's going to be. Can't you do that? Believe me, you don't, I've heard the stories. You don't want to be around when that happens because all hell will break loose and somebody will have an absolute freakout. But you should think that your chief anchor would be able to call that audible. But they don't. It doesn't happen. And so they go, all right, we're out of time. We're out of time. We've got to shut you up. We're out of time. You can't watch these. I can't. 
I can't watch these things. They're a waste of time. By and large, they are a complete and total waste of time. Not because the candidates are bad, not because the can- sometimes the candidates are bad, sometimes the candidates won't answer. But other times, it's the production that is just awful. Good God, it's just awful. Anyway, that's enough. On with the program. You've got the President of the United States giving partisan hack speeches down in black churches, and you've got uh, the left gathering. Nobody's making it. It's, it's a lot like the Claudine Gay thing up in Harvard. Nobody's denying she plagiarized anything. They're just ignoring she plagiarized everything. <laughs> you write 19 academic papers with 50 instances of plagiarism in them. You're not, there's not a whole lot of original thought going into there, right? There's, there's just not a lot of room. Oh, Derek, it was only a paragraph or two here and there. All right, yeah, sure. But those paragraphs shape every paragraph in an academic paper, if it's written in any way, shape, or form to be coherent and effective, helps shape the argument. If you are a sculptor, I am a sculptor, I work in clay, and you walk up to Michelangelo's David and cover it in clay and go, there, there it is, there's my masterpiece. And it's just David with a, you know, everything hanging out there for all to see with a thin layer of clay over it. Technically, you've done something, I suppose, but you don't really get full credit. Now, you might be the first jerk to decide to cover David with clay. Maybe one point for originality, but in general, you get the concept. You've taken somebody else's work and put some stuff over it. Now, you put a lot of clay over it. Does it matter if it's a thin veneer of clay and you can see the outline of David there under it? Is that different than if you put gobs of clay and you call it Chet and it's just a completely different, give them a, the Chet haircut from Weird Science? No. The base of it is still something else. The base of it is still stolen. It kind of matters, or at least it used to. But in the case of Claudine Gay, nobody's bothering making the case that, hey, uh, she, she may have stolen and that's not right. No, they're not. They're ignoring it. They're not even trying to say, no, she didn't steal. Because they can't. Because they've seen the evidence. They go, well, that's, that's word for word. I can't really. Deny. There's, no, there's no quotation marks in this, really? She lifts a whole paragraph and they didn't bother to. Uh, no citation, no missing, no like errant random footnote or anything. No, nothing. She just straight up stole. Okay, well, uh, she was fired because she's a minority. You're like, wait a second, how do you make that leap? Alexis McGill was the president of the uh, University of Pennsylvania. She got the boot almost immediately after horrible testimony up on Capitol Hill when the calls were going out for MIT and Harvard and, and UPenn to be fired. She got the she's Nobody's running around going, she was fired because she's white. They would never do that. But then nobody's running around going, she was fired because she was a woman. Nope. She's gone because she was an idiot. She too, by the way. This is how liberalism works. They always have a golden parachute packed in their carry-on bag. She gets to keep her job as a professor 
at UPenn, just like Claudine Gay is keeping her job as a professor at Harvard, a job that pays her $900,000. So as you hear all these people go, oh, racism, would that I were so oppressed. Okay, go ahead and oppress me. You can oppress me for half of Claudine Gay's salary as a the dean of arts or whatever the hell it is. You can oppress me for half of that. Okay, go ahead, please, please do. In fact, I encourage it. Go ahead, reach out to me. We'll find a way that you can oppress me for $450,000. But it is a, it's the double standards that are the problem. So Joe Biden's running around talking about oh, uh, Donald Trump is so horrible and racist. They're terrified. They're absolutely terrified of losing the black vote. Implicit in that is the fact that they believe that they are entitled to the black vote. One might even say that they feel Democrats do, that they own the black vote. See, it's not that big of a leap from having gone from owning black people to owning the black vote. But if you look at the history, oh, did I say that? Yes, I did. If you look at the history of these, uh, of the South and of the Democrats, the Democrats were the uh, instigators and curators of the institution of slavery. And I know the left always says, and this bears repeating, and it bears repeating often because so many people don't know this, but they always say, yeah, maybe the Democratic Party of old was the party of racism, but that all changed in the 60s with the passage of the Civil Rights Bill from 1964. Then there was a massive exodus from the Democratic Party to the Republican Party of these racists. If you actually look it up, two people switched parties, two elected officials switched parties, two, two. Bull Connor didn't, George Wallace didn't. By the way, LBJ, hero of the Civil Rights Bill, he was speaker or, or leader of the Senate, majority leader in the Senate. They almost had the Civil Rights Bill that the NAACP wanted in 1957. There was actually a Civil Rights Act of 1957 that became law. But as majority leader in the Senate, Lyndon Baines Johnson held it up, watered it down to the point that it was irrelevant, that it did nothing to protect black people from, let's be honest, Democrats, and then passed it. It was very, it was like one tooth left in it by the time it got to Eisenhower's desk. Now, he did it. I don't think LBJ was necessarily a racist, although he was a racist. I think he did it because it was politics. He understood, as evidenced by the fact that he signed into law the Civil Rights Act later, eight years later, he recognized or at least believed and hoped that they could, the Democrats could then get a stronghold on the black vote. The black vote up till that point was majority Republican. 50-50. How is it true? Look in the aftermath of the Civil War. Before Reconstruction came to an end, there were 16 members of Congress elected from the South who were black. All of them were Republicans. There were 600 elected officials throughout the country or black. The vast majority of them were Republicans. The Republican Party was created for the express purpose of ending slavery. The election of 1876 of Rutherford B. Hayes, who they called Rutherford B. Hayes. I believe he lost the popular vote 
and uh, there was no clear winner in the Electoral College because of third-party candidates and vote disputes, and a deal was cut to get Rutherford B. Hayes into the White House in exchange for the Democrats' really only priority at that time in 1877, and that was ending Reconstruction. With the end of Reconstruction, the white racist Southern Democrats were able to reemerge and reoppress black people. They weren't able to re-enslave them, but they were able to impose Jim Crow laws. This is where the Jim Crow laws come from. This is where the Klan comes from. This is where poll taxes come from. They were able to intimidate people. All of those elected Republicans in the South who were black were out of office within two or three election cycles because the Democratic establishment was able to stand outside of polling places and prevent black people from voting. They were able to pass laws that prevented black people from voting. Then Woodrow Wilson, being the good progressive that he was, after the desegregation of the U.S. military by, I believe, Teddy Roosevelt, Woodrow Wilson resegregated the military, resegregated the government, essentially but not completely banning black people from holding civil service posts. Woodrow Wilson, who until recently was celebrated as a progressive hero until the Democrats started judging everybody else in their history, they said, oh, crap. We got a pretty big, we got a whole bunch of racists in our past. They then stopped having Jefferson Jackson Day dinners. And now I don't even know what, I think they just call them Democrat dinners. Every state, every state Democratic Party had Jefferson Jackson Day dinners. And they're going, Republicans are celebrating racists. They had a retreat in Southern Virginia, Republicans did one time. And some industrious reporter from like Slate went down there. And they said, one of the meeting rooms that they're holding these conferences in was named after a slave owner. Oh, really? Did you get your invitation to the Jefferson Jackson Day dinner? Because I got some news about both of them. <laughs> and then suddenly they said, oh, all right, we're not going to call them Jefferson Jackson Day dinners anymore. We're not going to do that. The double standards are the problem. But then things started to change. FDR, four terms made inroads in the black vote, and then the Civil Rights Act of 1964 brought about a wholesale change that has lasted almost ever since. Almost ever since. LBJ knew it at the time. Part of the reason he didn't want Republicans to have the Civil Rights Act in 1957 and wanted it for a Democratic president, I, I assume he hoped it would be him, but couldn't have planned it the way he got there, was because he wanted the black vote to be loyal to Democrats. Well, part of that loyalty is at a certain point when it becomes, I don't know, third or fourth generational, as with everything, you begin to take it for granted. And Democrats have done exactly that. And a lot of political observers, myself included, have sat back and said, what the... At some point, having grown up in Detroit, having gone to college in Detroit, and then having lived 13 years in downtown Baltimore, in the uh, around the monument there and uh, just north of downtown. And you sit there and you go, generational control of this city. 
the northwest corridor, the north-south corridor, right up Charles Street and a block or two in either direction, great. Lovely place. Love it. It's great. I mean, you get the occasional heroin junkie who is defying gravity and leaning over the laundromat I used to go to had a dude who, I don't know how he did it. He, he was high as a kite, and he could squat down, not like a catcher, but almost like the Leaning Tower of Pisa, be semi-conscious and not fall. You're like sitting there going, that guy's going to fall over. That guy's going to, that guy has to fall. Gravity works on everybody equally. But somehow this guy defied gravity. Maybe heroin causes you to be affected by gravity differently. But that was, occasionally you'd see that. But if you go two blocks in either direction from Charles Street, you'd see that. And you sit there and you look at the rest of the city and you go, this is economically depressed. You look at the economic numbers, you look at the unemployment numbers, you look at the income numbers, you look at the bombed out areas of the city. The only difference between Detroit and Baltimore is Detroit spent 20 years burning down, the citizens did, burning down their abandoned houses. Baltimore hasn't torn them down. Maybe they're tearing them down now. But uh, Detroit, you could go there and you're like, are we in farmland? Like, no, we are in places that if you saw a picture of what this place was 30 years ago, people lived here. Houses were here, and now it's just overgrown wild dog parks with burning couches. And always, I came across at least three burning couches in the middle of the street in the middle of the night while driving around Detroit. It's, it's quite an experience. There's always a, a weird, scary, but partial party atmosphere around a burning couch in the middle of a street in the middle of the night. There just is. It's not a party you want to be invited to. And if you stumble across it, I, I'd propose that you keep moving. You actually don't even approach it. You can see a burning couch from a block away. Don't go. Don't go down that street. But you look at it and you go, now, I, I, I did not live, I was not alive during the heyday of Detroit. But in certain areas that were the worst hit, like the uh, part of Detroit where John Conyers represented for uh, 50 years or whatever it was, you could see the outlines, the remnants, the shells of what once was. Some nice-looking-ish bombed-out houses still existed. Places where businesses once were still existed. Old factories, old office buildings, they still existed. They were empty in a lot of cases. They had holes in their walls and their ceilings in a lot of cases. When I was roofing, we worked on some of them. But you could see the shell of what was. The people who lived there had to have lived there when it was good, some of them, and over the course of their lifetime watched it deteriorate, all the while the politicians promising them the payoff is just around the corner. We're going to keep things safe. We're going to do it. We're going to do this, that, and the other thing, blah, blah, blah. Things will get better. Things will get better. We'll make sure things get better. Sooner or later, I don't know, 30, 40, 50 years of we're going to make things better or even if we weren't here, things would be worse because the other guys are worse. Sooner or later, you got to go, OK, maybe the other people are worse, but I can't imagine how. I'm going to at least give it a shot. Donald Trump in 2016 famously told the Economic Club of Detroit, you know, what the hell do you have to lose? Well, for me, what the hell do you have to lose? And that scared Democrats to their core. I don't know how much of an impact it made in 2016, but the polling data right now is indicating that it is making a potential difference in 2024, not for Donald Trump, but for Republicans in general, as the Democrats are 
Now, again, we're 10 minutes to 10 minutes, 10 months away from voting, but they are polling horribly amongst black voters. A group of people that they normally get 80 or, or get 90 to 93 percent of the vote of, they're only getting 80 percent of you think, well, that's not much of it. It's the margins are razor thin. That can make all the difference in the world. When the Hispanic go, vote goes from 70 percent for Democrats to 38 percent for Democrats. In raw numbers, that may not be tens of millions of votes, but in states like Arizona, it can be the difference maker. It can be. Will it be? I don't know. Ten months is a long time. It's a lifetime. It's ten lifetimes in politics. But it's interesting to watch because this has Democrats scared to death. Scared to death. The prospect of losing a vote that they have taken for granted for half, more than half a century scares them to death. And it's because they've taken it for granted that it, they find themselves in this situation. By the way, I, I alluded to this, the uh, number of people who switched parties. And the left always makes this case. Well, the reason that the South is so solidly Republican is because of the Civil Rights Act. The Civil Rights Act of 1964 was not at all the case. It wasn't. They want to imply that all these racists, Democrats might have been racist up until then, and then suddenly they decided that all the racists ran to the Republican Party. As a percentage, Republicans were in the minority in Congress in 1964. But the Civil Rights Act of 1964 was passed with a higher percentage of Republican members in the House and Senate than Democrat members in the House and Senate. It would not, in fact, have passed were it not for Republican support. Majority of Republicans in Congress voted for it. Democrats did not a majority. They did not vote for it in a majority. A bunch of Democrats did, but it was not. And like I said, two, exactly two. Strom Thurmond was one of them who a couple of years later switched parties. And the other one was some guy in the House who was so insignificant, I don't think he even got reelected. Doesn't matter. History has forgotten him. Two people switched parties. Bull Connor didn't switch parties. Uh, George Wallace didn't switch parties. All the famous racists, Democrats, did not switch parties. And the South did not turn Republican in the immediate aftermath of the 20 or the 1974 Civil Rights Act. In fact, the South didn't turn Republican for 30 years. Look it up. It's history. It's verifiable. The Republican wave in 1994 a reaction, a recoil from Bill Clinton and the attempted takeover of our health care system, that is when the South turned red. That is when the Republicans got a majority of uh, governorships, Senate seats, and House seats. It was not the case until then. Until then, it was solidly Democrat. Solidly Democrat. Look it up. It's kind of funny that they've managed to bastardize history to this point. But when your history is so terrible, you have to bastardize it. You have to change it. The truth doesn't help these people, so they don't operate in the truth. Jimmy Carter was governor of Georgia in the 70s. Jimmy Carter 
was a leftist Democrat. How in the hell could, if all these horrible racists in the South was lost for, if all that happened because of LBJ and the Civil Rights Act, how was it that Jimmy Carter not only got elected Georgia governor, but swept the South in 1976 and became president of the United States? Now, he was so terrible that come 1980, he lost the South. But he lost everywhere, too. In 1984, Ronald Reagan was so successful and so popular that he won everywhere except Wisconsin and Washington, D.C. 1988, it's a little bit different. Dukakis did okay in the South. But again, he was a horrible candidate. He was about five foot two. And he said that he wouldn't support the death penalty if somebody murdered his wife. So that's not exactly... Uh, somebody that's going to inspire people. But then you go to 1992 and Bill Clinton swept the South. How is that possible? If, if the Democrats lost the South, then why did they keep winning it? How did they keep winning it? Maybe somebody's lying to you. Don't you think that's a possibility? It's a probability. Once you start opening that can of worms, they start slithering all over the place and it opens up to all kinds of prospects that make the media and the left-wing industrial complex wildly uncomfortable, which is why they just continue. to. It's easier to continue the lie. If the truth is of no help to you, you continue the lie. And that's what these people do. But you can look it up. Never take anybody's word for this. Don't take my word for it. The Internet exists. You have access to it. Look these things up for yourself. You'll see I'm right. You'll see that you've been lied to. You'll see that the people in power are still lying to you because the truth is not their friend. The truth is not helpful to them. While uh, the president of the United States is running around saying incendiary things and lying to the American public, bringing people together. Don't you love it? Only I can unite the the country. And then you go, half the country is horrible Nazis. Why the hell would anybody want to unite with them then? What are you talking about? He talks out of both sides of his mouth while his head is up his rear end. So he's essentially talking out of there, which, you know, we all kind of knew. Meanwhile, the rest of the world is, is going on. It's happening. There is a crisis over in the Middle East. Hezbollah, the terrorists, all funded by Iran, the Houthi rebels. We keep saying, this administration is, we're going to get tough on Iran while sending billions of dollars over to Iran. Like, we'll show you. Now, here's money. Oh, okay, great. Congratulations. Thanks a lot, pal. Um, they are bombing over in the Red Sea. They're, they're attacking ships, the Houthi rebels. And the administration is doing some things of it. There was a, a sternly worded letter. Doesn't that feel good? Don't you love it when the State Department signs on to a sternly worded letter to a terrorist state like Iran and their proxies bombing and attacking ships and trying to hijack ships in the Red Sea saying, we, sir, would like to lodge a protest. You are breaking the law. Like, oh, OK. Yeah. You're going to tell people who are perfectly content to strap explosives to children and send them into playgrounds and detonate them remotely, that they're, they're going to break the law. Like, oh, no, I'd never jaywalk. I'd never jaywalk. When I send a child strapped with explosives into a market, I make sure they obey all the crosswalks. I'm not a monster. I'm not a monster. 
that sort of insanity. But they said it, UK, France, Germany, they all signed on this because the, uh, the Red Sea, a 15% of the world's commerce travels through there. It's, give it this way. There's a choice. You cut through the Middle East or you go all the way around Africa and shipping goods. Which do you think is more efficient, better, even if you don't care about uh, like a terrorist sympathizer, one of these mutants out taken to the streets for Hamas, if you're, you're probably also an environmentalist nut and you just look at that and you go, well, that's like three, four, five, eight thousand miles, whatever the hell it is, going around these ships burning. If you have to go around Africa, that's a whole lot of carbon footprint. We could eliminate that carbon footprint if we just uh, go right through the Middle East, go through the canal, go through the Red Sea. From that perspective, you should care. But having uh, terrorists come up and try and steal your ship, try and hijack your ship is a bit of a problem. Now, we have blown up a couple of these little terrorist ships. But one thing about terrorists is they pretend, they fundraise, they recruit, they grant martyr status to the people who are blown up on these little ships. But they don't really care about it. They're sitting around, if you're committed and you believe that there are, you know, uh, 72 virgins in eternal paradise waiting for you on the other side of your untimely death because you're a moron who joined the wrong cause, you don't really care about it. You're like, oh man, Tito, he just got blown up and party Tito in heaven tonight. I mean, great. So you look at that, it's not really that big of a deterrent. And the left will always tell you, all you're doing is recruiting more. Recruiting more. You kill a terrorist, and that terrorist has a family. And you're creating more terrorists. First of all, if you want to follow dear old dad into the martyrdom brigade, there's really not a whole lot going to stop you. There's really not. You've already kind of lost. You either have it in you that you aren't going to kill people and don't want to be killed yourself, or you're open to the prospect. If you're open to the prospect... Maybe you can have an epiphany later on that goes, yeah, I probably shouldn't. When I was a teenager, I was really crazy into the blowing. Lots of people do lots of stupid things when they're young. They grow out of it. I just really like these people to look at the recruiter, the person trying to talk them into, you know what you should do? You should murder yourself. I want to talk to those people and say, why don't you ask the recruiter why they're still alive? If, if this is the fastest pathway to eternal paradise and the way to please Allah... Why is the 50-year-old recruiting you at the Holiday Inn, Dubai, is, why has he not done it? That'd be a question. Well, this is my cause. Well, I'll take, if that's your cause to recruit people and not blow yourself up, and you're still going to get the 72 virgins, an eternal paradise, why wouldn't you then go, well, are you hiring for the recruiter? Because, you know, I'll, I'll take that, even if it's commission-based pay. I'll take that job over the blowing myself up on spec that paradise is waiting for me over there. They never do. They never ask that question. I would love to ask that question. But anyway, with so much of the world's commerce traveling through the Red Sea, the Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, who just, there's something wrong with that guy's name. I don't know. Did his parents misspell Anthony? It's really Antony Blinken. It sounds like you should drop the B and give the guy an H, right? Anthony Lincoln would be so much more normal sounding than Anthony Blinken. I don't know how all, 
if you look in politics, almost more so than like sports, there's a whole bunch of people with just weird names. Anyway, Anthony Blinken is over in the Middle East, and he is, um, well, he's not doing much of anything. Listen to him. Cut one. Go ahead. You've got about 15% of the world's commerce every day going through that, that strait, going through the Red Sea. And these attacks are having a real effect on, on the prices that people have to pay for food, for medicine, for energy. Ships have to get diverted to other places. Insurance rates go up. Now, expect that to become one of the big excuses that the Biden administration is making or the Biden campaign will be making for the fact that inflation has not come down. It's weird because they've tried. The inflation is coming down. Inflate. We've defeated inflation. We've de- and now they're going to say, because we all know, you still go to the grocery store to cost you 60, 70 bucks to get out the door. It's They're setting up a secondary here. Well, this is why. It's because of these Iranian terrorists and what ha- Okay, well, then why don't you do something about it? Hey, hey, Anthony Blinken, Secretary of State, you know anybody with a military that might be able to do something about the terrorists trying to disrupt the flow of commerce through the Red Sea? You know anybody? Anybody? I realize, see, there's times like this, you wish your Secretary of Defense were not hiding in a hospital somewhere from an unknown illness. <laughs> I just love these people. We're very good at defining the problem. Democrats are very good at defining the problem. But not so good at doing anything about it. Now, I'm not that big of a war hawk in general. But at a certain point, when you look at the world's terrorism as commonly defined, and you say 80% or whatever of it is funded orchestrated, perpetrated, whatever it is, because of Iran. Maybe you want to do something about that. Maybe you don't want to, I don't know, keep sending them billions of dollars. If you've got this little offshoot in Yemen of these quote-unquote rebels, this terrorist group who are terrorizing shipping through the Red Sea, I'm pretty sure a nation such as ours should be able to Maybe not wipe them out completely, but bomb the ever-loving feces out of them to the point that it makes it really difficult for them to operate. Take them out. Send a message. My kids, we watched, um, what do you call it? Uh, What was that movie? A A Christmas Story over Christmas. And the scene where Ralphie gets his mouth washed out with soap. Life boy. Ugh. Quinn, my uh, six-year-old, has become kind of a little bit interested in why that's a punishment and what soap tastes like. Now, having had my mouth washed out with soap one time, I got lippy. I don't remember what I said. I don't think I swore. But I remember my mother taking the bar of soap. I think it was Irish Spring. Open your mouth. And she, she knew what she was doing. She must have had it done to her as a kid. She took it stuck it in my mouth and didn't leave it hanging in there like with Ralphie. She scraped it on my teeth as she pulled it out. And that, ugh, it, I can still taste it. But if I don't rinse, I have my, my uh, Contigo water bottle here with the flip top. If I don't wash that off, I don't rinse it after washing it, turn it off, I can still taste like the dish soap on it. Like, and it bothers me. It takes me right back to that time. You don't forget that. 
You don't forget those sorts of things. You don't forget the punishment. I remember the last time I got spanked. Probably 12 years old, and I was being a jerk in a, in a store and demanding or whining about wanting something. My dad told me, you don't stop it. You're going to get it when we get home. I didn't stop it. He kept calm. I thought, you know, we did other things, and I'm, I got away with it. The perfect crime, old man. You don't know what you... You get home, he called me into his room, into my parents' room, said, you know, get out. Let's do it. We're gonna get... I'm like, what? That's so long ago. Like, no, you, you were told. You were told, and I was told, and I, I, right there, I was like, my dad means business. My dad, it's not an idle threat. So if you've got an area of the world where a group of terrorists on dinghies can speed up to cargo ships and take them over or try to just sink them, a la the USS Cole, if the United States military... Forget I mean, forget the fact that Canada and UK and France, they've all signed on. They should be able to get all of them together. You bomb the ever-loving hell out of these people. A terrorist in pieces is not going to be a very effective terrorist at terrorizing the shipping lanes in the Middle East. You know where they are, or you should be able to discover where they are located, where they congregate, wherever it is, and you blow up those places on the on the ground, and that's it. Take care of it. Instead of sitting there whining, going, well, Iran really needs to stop funding these things, blow them up. Kill them. That solves the problem right there. And then if Iran throws a fit, well, if we can't take Iran, you don't want to go to war with Iran, but you definitely don't want Iran to think or believe or even know, there's no way in God's green earth they're ever going to go to war with us. That was why Donald Trump's foreign policy was so effective. It wasn't that he had a coherent plan. It was almost that he didn't have a coherent plan. It was that the rest of the world thought, I have no idea what this guy's going to do. If we do this, I don't know what he's going to do. He threw out the book that all presidents, well, he didn't throw it out, he just refused to read it, but whatever. He uh, ignored it. He ignored the game plan and went on gut instinct. There was no plan, no pathway, or no history of killing a terrorist leader in Iran like Soleimani when he went to Iraq. And the left, they just celebrated, or they just marked, like, what was it, three years since his death. Oh, it's a horrible tragedy. No, the world is better off with that guy dead. There's no plan for that. Suleimani was traveling fairly openly because, why? Because he never envisioned a world where President of the United States would kill him, would kill anybody. Now, the people in power in Iran and other despotic regimes around the country, while Donald Trump was president, were like, okay, um, we're going to have to send like five planes in all different directions, all different routes. I don't want them to know which one I'm on. I don't want them to have any idea which one I'm on. I, I'll travel incognito. I'll do. They were very concerned that the same fate was going to befall them. It's good when bad people have to live that way. Now bad people can get on television. Hamas, the leaders of Hamas, live in a luxury hotel. They're all billionaires, by the way and live in a luxury hotel in Qatar. We know where they are. You could send them cards. 
you could send, and many Democrats of the squad want to send them well wishes. They probably sent them a lot of Christmas cards. You know where they are. Under Donald Trump, they would have been a little bit nervous about that, at a minimum. The leaders in Iran would be a little bit nervous. Right now, they're too busy counting the pallets full of cash that the Biden administration sent them. No, 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 no. We're not funding terrorism. We're just giving them money that they have to use for humanitarian aid. Okay, well, the Iranian economy is in the toilet. The government needs to spend money to buy food because they're, it's not really their priority. They want a nuclear bomb. But if you give them that food, it frees up the money that they were going to spend on food to spend on other things like terrorism, like their nuclear program. Money is fungible in those terms. They don't want to admit that, but that's the reality of the situation. So as we sit there and cower over terrorists with automatic weapons in little dinghies, we could be a hell of a lot more aggressive and show the whole region, the terrorists, you don't, you don't mess with us, okay? You want to have a civil war? Knock yourself out. You want to try and drag down the rest of the world? You want to bring your apocalyptic view to more people and harm innocent civilians just going about their business? We will help you find out whether or not the bill of goods you've been sold to engage in terrorism is true or not. Let us know. Send us an email from hell, won't you? So while the uh, Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, if Anthony can be shortened to Tony, how can Antony, be, they call him Tony Blinken too, like it's, his name is not Anthony, it's Antony. Somebody needs to sit down with his parents or look into that thing. It bothers me. It's bothering me more than I think about it. But uh, let's talk about Michelle Obama. She was, uh, while the administration is placating terrorists overseas, Michelle Obama. Michelle, remember when the Nigerian girl, the horrible situation with like 60 Nigerian girls were kidnapped by terrorists and the hashtag bring back our girls was all the right. Bring back our girls. And Michelle Obama tweeted out a picture of her dour faced holding up a sign that somebody else had. She couldn't even write her own hashtag that somebody else had written out. Said, bring back our girls. And she had her down pouty lip. And it's probably the last time she ever thought about it. She's a, she hasn't done anywhere. She hasn't done anything about all the terrorists, the hostages in Israel. Nothing about it. Doesn't care about those girls, seemingly. But she is running around trying to sell a book. She is running around trying to sell everything. She Being worth $100 million is not as much fun as it's, it's, it's work. It's a lot of work. And so she's out there promoting all of these things that these companies have overpaid her for. Her first book sold a ton of copies. Her second book like her biography, people are like, oh, the biography, I'll read that. And when she goes to a second book that's like inspirational. Nobody cared. It sold a, a fraction of what the first one sold. So she's still out there trying to hawk it. She's trying to hawk the, the, the movies that they're producing, the, all the sorts of things that you sit there and you go, man, that's a sweetheart deal. Netflix just drove a truck over to your house and dumped $100 million on your front lawn. Is that what it was? Your book deal, $80 million. That's amazing. That's a hell of a... You know how many copies of a book you have to sell to recoup 
$80 million. Now, it was the two of them, and it was for four books. So they'll probably recoup it because they get it structured in such a way that I've been told by people in the publishing industry that the publisher gets a chunk of um, the overseas. They can sell the overseas and foreign language versions of it because it'll sell around the world. And then there's the movie rights they get a, a piece of and everything. And Hollywood wants to throw money at these people, too. They, the left takes care of their own. The right is always like, well, am I ever going to see this money again? And the left is like, here, just take money. Go ahead. Like, if you're a billionaire, you can just go, here's money. If Jeff Bezos, or I mean, Jeff Bezos, what did he spend? $150 million on a yacht. $150 million at a time. That's huge. That's gigantic. It's the world's biggest privately owned yacht. It's, it's kind of ugly on the outside just from an aesthetic point of view, but inside it's amazing. And you go, $150 million, my God. And then you realize Jeff Bezos is worth $150 billion. By the time he wrote the check, Amazon stock had probably gone up enough to make up the difference. And he couldn't, unless he's trying to buy the Mona Lisa every single day, he couldn't blow through that kind of money. It regenerates itself. So he didn't have to worry about it. The Obamas don't have billions of dollars, not yet, but considering that they offer nothing and bring nothing to the table, no expertise, uh, nothing. She was a hospital administrator and he was a insignificant state level politician before he became president. Before he be, like, they're doing all right. Again, would that we were all so oppressed. But Michelle Obama, in this podcast interview, she's still very upset about, well, everything. She's a victim. I don't know, maybe the key to making tens, if not hundreds of millions of dollars is to paint yourself as a perpetual and professional victim, and then there will be people conga lining to your front door to give you a fortune, whatever the case Let's listen to Michelle Obama whine about these sorts of things. The White House tests you in ways that you never anticipated. Mm -hmm. And the fact that we came out as a family, as individuals, the four of us, me and our two daughters, that was us. Mm -hmm. That was our values, our compassion, our, our smarts, our strategy that got us through. Is there a history that I am unaware of, of presidents who, after they leave the presidency or as they're leaving the presidency, their family is in shambles, their lives are completely falling apart? Is there, is there something going on that I'm unaware of? No. No, there's not. As a matter of fact, I don't believe any, any former president has gotten divorced. I don't believe any former president has gotten divorced. I don't believe any former president has, maybe Ronald Reagan with Ron Reagan Jr., but all the other kids loved their parents. Ron Reagan Jr. is a committed leftist. And so he was, you know, he makes his living now whining and dining out on his name. But that's it. Everybody else, and even he kind of at least pretends to love his parents. So what the hell is she talking about? We... We did it. We bucked the trend. We managed to get out. What? Boy, when you have to lie to this extent to paint yourself as a victim, you are not the victim. You, in fact, are more than likely the perp. But she wasn't done. 
Michelle Obama because is Michelle Obama ever done? I don't think Michelle Obama is ever done. She continues. You know, I'm so proud of my husband and the way he led, the way his administration worked, the team that we built. So proud of everyone. I'm, I may have diverted from the question, but beautiful. Um, I think that's that's because of who we are. And I know that now. Mm. I can I can see it in your eyes and and feel it from your words. Like it's it must it must be hard. Like knowing that you know it it can't always be that way in one sense. It's almost like great that you've been able to leave, but there's a there's that feeling also of like oh, but that was great. I mean, the bars are different for people in life. That I've learned. Mm. This is the thing about being another. Mm-hmm. You learn how to be excellent all the time mm-hmm. because you can't be less than. Mm-hmm. Other people can. Other people can be indicted a bunch of times and still run for, for office. Mm-hmm. Black man can't. You just learn to be good. And in the end, you benefit from that extra resilience. Mm. You know, you could be mad about it, but it also makes you more equipped, mm. right? But it's still not fair. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, then you're why when you think victim, you think the Obamas, and you really think everybody else has got it so easy compared to the way that they are not scrutinized in any way, shape, or form. The way that they refer to the Obama administration as it was uh, it was scandal free, and then you look at the IRS being used to target American citizens, journalists, literal journalists being arrested because the Obama administration wanted the information they had, ignoring the First Amendment, didn't that just totally scandal-free. The dead U.S. Border Patrol agent in the Fast and Furious case, when the Obama administration forced the sale of weapons to Mexican drug cartels and then didn't track the guns, didn't tell the Mexican government, and people to this day are still dying from guns sold in that operation. And we still don't know who ordered it, who authorized it, because the attorney general at the time, Eric Holder, refused to comply with a congressional subpoena, was held in contempt of Congress, and uh, there was no consequence for it whatsoever. Boy, howdy. Oh, if would that we were all so oppressed. But I love it. Oh, yeah, no, when you're an other, you're another. What you are is a post-digested food uh, extraction point. Go ahead and figure out what that one means, uh, Michelle. That's what you are. That's what you are. Oh, you're another. Have a double standard. Uh, somebody can be indicted and run for president. Yeah, really? Somebody can be indicted and run for office and still be fine with that. Let's just take one example. Let's go back in the Wayback Machine to not that long ago, the mid-2000s, the mid-2005, as a matter of fact. There was a Democrat from Louisiana, a congressman named William Jefferson. He had been uh, suspected of taking bribes. And in fact, the FBI videotaped him taking a bribe, $100,000 in a briefcase. Yeah, in $100 bills, collecting a whole bunch of money. William Jefferson then, 2005, took the bribe on tape. Then there was a raid on his office, a raid on his home, 2006. May 20th, 2006, the FBI 
raided his congressional office in the Rayburn House office building. Speaker, future Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, was the lead Democrat. She was the Democrat minority leader. She didn't say squat about it. She didn't call for, took her a couple years to call for William Jefferson to resign. But William Jefferson was in, not only indicted in 2006 for taking bribes, he was found in his congressional office building to have $90,000 in cash hidden in a freezer in a refrigerator in his congressional office, in his personal office. He had a small fridge and in a box, I think, of popsicles or some sort of frozen fruit. He had $90,000 in $100 bills in there. He won re-election. It wasn't until he was convicted that Nancy Pelosi then came out two years later and called for his resignation, called for him to be removed from his um, committee assignments. Nancy Pelosi was all fine with it. It's long forgotten. Everybody forgets Democrat history that makes him bad. See, every Republican has to answer for any Republican. No Democrat has to even answer for themselves. But you hear... Michelle Obama, and in the background, if you listen closely, you can hear the hammering. She's nailing herself up to the cross. She's the victim. She's a martyr. She's a this. She's a that. She is not any of those things. She is the perp. She has, in fact, gotten better treatment. We had a literal model as First Lady of the United States. You can hate Donald Trump all you want. You can't look at his wife and think, yeah, kind of ugly. Uh, not, not really it doesn't matter. She might not be your cup of tea, but by just basic standards of attractiveness, you go, yeah, he definitely punching above his weight class. You can look at him and say, if he was just a construction worker, not a construction company owner, there's no, you're right, but it doesn't matter. He's married to her. She was first lady of the United States. She got zero magazine covers, zero magazine covers. How many PhDs were written about Michelle Obama's triceps? Right. How many? I think Katie Couric actually orgasmed on the air talking about Michelle Obama's arms one time. Pretty sure that roundtable after roundtable over at MSNBC was about how Michelle Obama was so stunning in uh, she. You know that she wore a sweater from Target. Yeah, she wore a sweater. You know that she also had fashion designers throwing her thousands and thousands of dollars in dresses. That nearly got, you know, Nancy Reagan run out of town on a rail, but it is a fashion trend and a wonderful thing when Michelle Obama did it. No, there are double standards, Michelle. In fact, and indeed, there are double standards, but you are not the victim of them. You are, in fact, the beneficiary of them. But now she's losing sleep. She's very concerned. She weeps. She shudders for the future of the country later on in the podcast interview she said this the things that yeah. keep me up because you you don't have control over them mm -hmm. and you wonder where are people where are we in this you know where are our hearts what's going to happen in this next election i am terrified about what could possibly happen because our leaders matter who we select who speaks for us who holds that bully pulpit it affects us in ways that I, sometimes I think people take for granted. Oh, she's terrified. She is absolutely terrified. 
Nothing scares the hell out of union members more than voluntary membership in their organization. Nothing scares the hell out of Democrats more than them losing their grip on power. Than them losing their grip on power. They are absolutely horrified at the idea. They're absolutely horrified at the idea that Hispanic voters might vote majority Republican for the first time ever, or the first time in a long time since they've been keeping statistics. They're terrified that black voters might vote instead of 9% for Republicans, 20% for Republicans. They're terrified, so much so that they're out there, they've got Michelle Obama going, I'm scared, and oh man, the whole country's going to fall apart. And you got the president going down there going, you're basically, if you vote for Republicans, you're voting for somebody to come in and shoot you. Some horrible, horrible racist monster will come in and shoot you. All of these things and lies, what they're not doing is making a case in any positive sense as to why you should vote for Democrat. They're telling you if you don't, there's going to be horrible things. They can't make a case as to why you should vote for a Democrat because many minority voters live in places that, again, have been generationally controlled by Democrats and the shell of what once was is still visible. And you look at it and you go, boy, people used to work here. People used to live here. Democrats, unfettered control have ruined all of that. Maybe we should try something else. They won't defend. They can't defend that. There's no defense for that. So all they have is to try and scare the hell out of you. And Michelle Obama, I'm losing. You really think Michelle Obama, which uh, mansion of yours are you losing sleep in? The one in Martha's Vineyard, the one in Hawaii, the one in Los Angeles, the one in Washington, D.C.? Tell us which, you know, 5,000 thread count sheet bed you're tossing and turning on nightly over the prospect that a crusty 81-year-old white guy might not get reelected so we can finish the, proce the, pos uh, the uh, process of watching him fall apart completely to the ravages of senility. Tell us, Michelle, won't you please? Since we've talked about Michelle Obama... Oh, sweet, 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 nourishing Michelle Obama. What a victim she is. But did you notice her triceps? My God. She could bench press a Mack truck. The ladies over at The View, well, they could eat a Mack truck. They, uh, they are very upset about everything. It really is amazing. They were, uh, this show was the brainchild of venerated newswoman. Barbara Walters, Baba Wawa. She has since passed on, and she had retired before, and the show had gone to, the show was never good. Let's just be honest. The show had gone to hell right from the beginning. It was a stupid concept. Let's get a whole bunch of people together and film them. People have no knowledge of the news, no direct impact on anything, and uh, no real understanding, and many of whom probably didn't really honestly graduate high school. And let's have them talk about the news of the day. And they said, yeah, well, that sounds great. Sadly, rather than look at this as a horrible Frankensteinian experiment gone awry, cable news looked at this and said, we should do the same thing. And that's what cable news has become. A whole bunch of people, no direct knowledge with anything. There was a time, believe it or not, kids, gather around and listen to me regale you. Listen to Grandpa Derek tell you about the time when news networks required, required 
people that were interviewed to have some level of expertise or a direct connection to the story at hand. Swear to God, it's a true story. <laughs> it was either a victim involved in a story, somebody directly involved in a story who was witness to the story, or a local reporter who was on the scene who would talk to people who did. Or policy experts who understood the intricacies of proposed legislation and knew exactly what would happen should this legislation be implemented. And people must have hated it. I don't know. They don't do it anymore. Now cable news is the same 12 people every single night, just in a different order, on different shows, talking about stuff they have no understanding of whatsoever. None. None. Like, oh, this person's a cable news contributor. I know them. They used to attend a happy hour. I know. They, uh, they were a low-level staffer in the House of Representatives, which is just this side of, I don't know, a stamp licker? Profession? Is there a professional stamp licker anymore, or are they all sticky? Whatever. And you sit there and you go, this person is opining on what the government should do in regards to North Korea. This person is talking about how the economic numbers are going to impact people. There are some people watching this who don't recognize that this person just read an Associated Press story is making it up. Making it, and they're probably some people are making financial decisions about whether, well, I think that the economy is going to crash. I think this, that, and the other thing. Like, oh, maybe I should sell some stuff. You're, there are people making life decisions based on the opinions of somebody who knows nothing. And that's what cable news is. You can literally come away dumber. You will. If you watch too much of it, you come away dumber. I don't care what network you watch. I don't care what your political beliefs are. Do yourself a favor. Every once in a while, flip to the other side. Just do it. If you, if you love CNN or MSNBC, flip over to Fox. Just for like two, three days in whatever time slot you normally watch the other network, flip it over. Watch it. Same thing if you only watch Fox, flip over to MSNBC for you know, a couple hours or for as long as you possibly can stomach it, which would be significantly shorter than a couple of hours, but do it. Watch it. See if you recognize what's being talked about. See if you recognize the planet that broadcast is emanating from. Because I don't think you will recognize the planet from uh, which that broadcast is emanating. You just won't. You can't. It is a different planet. It's a different world. And it's the same stories-ish most of the time. It's just they ignore huge chunks and parts of it. Ah, that's inconvenient. Let's just forget that part. All right, let's forget this part. Both sides are guilty of it. Both sides, I believe that the conservative media is more correct than not, at least in the recitation of the events as they happened, whereas the analysis is just stupid most of the time. I would ignore that. When they, when you, here's a good rule of thumb, no matter what you're watching. When somebody says, for reaction, we turn to. Turn it off, mute it, watch Wheel of Fortune, whatever it is. It doesn't matter. You are about to hear somebody's opinion. And as somebody who, you know, was booked on cable news, now, last time, I guess last week, one of them invited me on and I said no. Um, they usually book you a week ahead of time, just several days ahead of time. Hey, you busy next Tuesday? What's well, Tuesday? Well, you busy next Tuesday? You want to come on the show? Well, what's going to be the topic? I don't know. We'll figure out the topic the day of. What if I don't know anything about the topic? What if I don't care about the topic? What if, doesn't matter. Come on. 
you can talk about it. And the morning of, they tell you what it is that you're uh, talking about, who you're going to be so-called debating or on with now. They don't even really try to pretend that there's a debate anymore. And they send you a link to an Associated Press story. It's like weird because it's like you're a news organization. Didn't you guys cover that? You can't send me a, a link to the story you guys wrote of this? No, they don't. That's not how that news organization works. And uh, tell us, write us two or three sentences of what you think of this story. And then you write two or three sentences back. And they go, all right, be here then, or we'll, we'll send the satellite truck to your house, or you'll give us your Skype handle, whatever it is. That's how cable news is booked. All of these cable networks are within a decent drive with a three-wood away from the United States Capitol. They could get members of Congress all day long. They, in fact, have stand-ups, spots with cameras set up in both the House and the Senate office buildings. They don't even have to send a car over to them. The, the member of Congress doesn't have to expose themselves to the horrible burning sun and the prospect of free vitamin D from that giant ball of fire in the sky. They don't have to leave their buildings to go out there. They could talk about the goings-on in the world or a piece of legislation. There are 535 voting members of the United States Congress over there, and then you add in the representatives from the various territories, and you get 538 or 9 or whatever the hell it is. You could talk to any of them. They'd all kill to be on television at any given moment. How many do you see on TV? Seven? Eight? That's it. When I remember when I worked in the Senate, I thought I was an avid consumer of news at the time. And I never forget, like, you go over there and you watch your first roll call vote in the United States Senate and you realize how long a list of names 100 people actually is. You go, wow. There's a lot of people that work in here. And then you're sitting there and you go, I've consumed news nonstop since I'm, you know, 12 years old. I haven't heard of most of these. Who the hell is Senator So? Who are these people? It's not a failure of me or a failure of anybody else. You're not, you don't have to sit around and study the members of Congress. It's a failure of the media. Where they just go, well, you know what, we got this one. We'll get this one back on again. How many times do you need to see Lindsey Graham? ever but you see him all the time you probably see lindsey graham his face on television more often than you see family members that's eric swalwell and jamie raskin are all over msnbc like bill clinton on an intern like joe biden on a staff or in a secluded hallway in the united states capitol is the world a better place because of that does anybody come away from these people thinking well, now I know. <laughs> no. It's what I believed before has been reinforced. Or you sit there and you think, whatever happened to Fang Fang? But whatever. Whatever it is. A lot of this hellscape that is the current media situation can be traced back to The View, which brings us back to The View. We have Whoopi Goldberg here. Now, Whoopi Goldberg, I don't know if she graduated high school. She's been famous for a long time. She did a one-woman show and was a stand-up comedian and whatever. And she, she makes a lot of noise, weird noises when she talks. Like, I, I, I don't want to... Like, she's a little bit like Larry Flint. She's like a semi-female version of Larry Flint. Larry Flint used to talk like this. 
I'll make the pornography. There's not directly when she's talking, but in her pauses, she does a lot of the kind of thing. She doesn't have any idea what she's talking about, but I promise you, I know how this show works. I've known people be on this show. They have staff, not just one person assigned to each one of the panelists. Each person has several staffers, producers for each segment. Each time they change topic, there's a different. It's not like one person had to go, well, there's five segments. I got to come up with five different takes. Nope. One person per segment. Brief them on this. Provide them with information. And they still get basic things wrong. Because why? Because when they get basic things wrong, nobody's ever, nobody has ever been fired for making themselves look like a complete idiot on The View. None of the, none of the hosts, nobody producer-wise has said, you just have embarrassed the show far too many times. We're going to have to let you go. I mean, Joy Behar's been there since the beginning, I think. That, makes, that means it's impossible to do that. If she's still there, it's impossible for that to happen. Anyway, they're talking about the border situation, talking about how evil Republicans are. I don't know who's sitting at home at, when the hell is the view on, like 11 o'clock, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, something. I don't know who's sitting around going, you know what I wanted to hear? I want to hear five screechy-voiced morons just tell me how horrible everything is. Can we do that? Tell, tell me how horrible one half the country is and how I don't know how I've got it so good the other half of the country. But that's what the view is. Here's Whoopi essentially doing that. I'm sorry. What's interesting for me is that people's faith in the country is waning. That's the the thing that's pissing me off. Because, in fact, there's a reason Joe Biden ran the way he did. There's a reason he's running for democracy now. Because that's really what's at stake. You worried that you can't pay your bill? Wait till he, the other guy becomes president and you won't have to worry about it because you'll be in some camp somewhere because that's his promise. His promise to us is he's going to force people to do his bidding. That's what he said. I'm with this. I'm going to be good on day one and I'm going to turn into this other person. So here's the deal. This is all up to you. What the hell is she, ta- what the hell is she talking about? I'm Donald Trump. I'll be good on day one, but then I'm going to kill you on day two. Vote for me. I missed that speech. Now, granted, I don't watch many Trump speeches, but I'm pretty sure I would have heard about that. I'm pretty sure my phone would have rang from any one of my friends. That just Did you hear what Trump just said? He promised to put everybody in camps. <laughs> but, I mean, it's, it's one thing to be wrong. It's another thing entirely to be completely delusional. Uh, Donald Trump, they said he's going to launch a nuclear strike against Los Angeles. Did he? Ah, he's going to put everybody... That's what you're voting for. You're voting for your own imprisonment. Huh. That's weird. Because it kind of... I don't know what rhetoric she's even... I don't know what she watches. I, I assume it's just this side of like an LSD-induced Rachel Maddow conspiracy monologue or Joy Reid on mushrooms angrily yelling at a clerk at a a barista at a Starbucks about having gotten her order wrong. I imagine it's that level of commentary. But you notice one thing they never do is they say, and we're going to play a clip. Here it is of this person saying these things. They don't do that. They can't do that. I promise you, 
Whoopi got off the air and was high-fived by whoever it was who briefed her for that segment. Good job. All right, good job, Whoopi. Because nobody's going to tell these people no. The so-called conservative up there, Alyssa Farah, she, uh, she hates Donald Trump. She worked for Donald Trump. It's weird. She didn't hate him until she stopped working for him, until she stopped hammering those checks, until she, until she stopped being his communications director and needed a job and realized that the money she's getting from CNN isn't going to be enough to keep her in the lifestyle to which she would like to have become accustomed. She suddenly became a harsh, harsh critic. She went from being, I never trust anybody who changes on everything in a dime. Anybody, any issue you can evolve over time. There's going to be more information that comes out. I respect people who go, you know what, I used to think this, now I think this on this issue, and this is why. And they can articulate why. People like Alyssa Farah, people like David Brock, people like Arianna Huffington, people like Leo Terrell, they changed like that. I can't snap, man. They changed like that on everything, all at once. Just one day they woke up and said, boom, everything I used to hold dear, everything I claimed, I'm now against. I ain't for it, I'm against it. Or I'm against it, I'm for it, whatever. You're like, wait, how did that happen? Well, it's usually you can trace it back to money. You can chase it back to scratch. I fully accept people evolving. You know what? I used to be a big defense hawk. Now I'm not. I used to be pro-choice. Now I'm pro-life. I used to be this. Now I used to be against gay marriage. Now I don't really care. Whatever. That happens. New information comes to light and a logical, rational human being with two brain cells to rub together can and will and damn it should, or we're screwed as a species, look at things and go, I now reassess what I thought before. This changes things. Doesn't have to change it for everybody, but for that person it did. On one issue, wholesale across the board, not so much. That's what qualifies you to be the so-called conservative on CNN and The View. You get to sit there and, I imagine, watch the spittle fly across the five-foot-long table from Whoopi as she's going, ah, Donald Trump wants to put everybody in a camp. <laughs> God help us. God help us. I wonder, they should make Whoopi smoke marijuana before she goes on the air just to give her cotton mouth, just so the rest of the crew doesn't have to pretend that they're sitting in the front row at a Gallagher concert. Maybe it's just me. Whoopi Goldberg wasn't done being stupid because, well, the show's an hour long, and they've got to fill it, and they only have a pen of stupid people. It's like sitting on a farm and going, it smells like cow manure. Like, well, we fill up all the air with cow manure because it's all we've got. You fill up all the airtime on The View with idiocy because it's all they've got. And so she's talking about the southern border. And the little rant you just heard about her talking about whatever the nonsense was that came out of her mouth was tangentially, or at least started, by discussion of what's going on at the border. I kid you not, because this is a literal continuation of what she was saying and she bring, goes, brings it into the border. This is all up to you. We can sit up here till we're green in the face. But this really comes down to the people. What is the country you want? Do you want the country that you kind of thought you had, where we all get to say what we think and we don't have to be afraid of being American? And believing that, yeah, there will be people who come in and some will get in quick, and some will take a different route, but they're coming here for a reason, because they're living in a place that's not good for their families. If you're okay with that, 
you understand that? Then fight for us to find a better way to make immigration work. Fight for that. Don't fight for keeping everybody out because then we all have to leave. Can we all <laughs> Just, she, you can tell she's like the, the little hamster in the wheel in her head running out of gas. Right there, like uh, you can, uh, the the thing and the stuff and the, what kind of country do you want? We want a country where you can say what you want. Okay. Invite a conservative to speak on a college campus, Whoopi. Accompany a conservative to a speech on a college campus. You can pick the college campus. I'll pick the conservative. Accompany them. See how that works out. For, see if this. I would say block out the day, but there's a good chance that it'll be canceled before the day of. And if it's not canceled before the day of, there's a fairly decent chance that there'll be some sort of bomb threat or riot that will cause the cancellation of it the day of. But, you know, we'll make it you can make it pick any college in New York City to make it convenient for you. And hell, you can pick the conservative, too. Give it a week to publicize it. Two weeks, maybe, but a week will do it. Just put some flyers up around campus. Or, whoopee, pick, pick a Jewish speaker. Pick a Jewish speaker to go speak on any college campus in Manhattan. And we'll see about the left's commitment to people's ability to say whatever it is they want. We'll see. I would recommend that you buy a helmet or something, some sort of face protection. It might be too late for that, but eh, just from an injury standpoint, some sort of face protector. Get dressed up like you're going to be a goalie at a hockey game. right? You're going to be a goalie at a slap shot contest. And then try to go to this event and see how well that works out with you. Or better yet, if you don't want to go through all the rigmarole, ask your producer immediately following the program, any program, to get you an Israeli flag, put it on a post, and carry it from one end of a college campus, take it from NYU or Columbia, from one end of campus to the other. It's only a few blocks. And see how that works out. See how many steps, count your steps, how many steps you take before you start trying to get security to come over to you. And I'm sure we could do some sort of fundraising thing where people sponsor the number of steps that you take. We'll raise, you know, $1,000 per step you take or 10 bucks. You can step, make little slow baby steps, a 10 bucks per step. And we'll donate it to whatever charity you want. But all that money gets negated should you get punched. Yeah, but if you make it 20 steps, you could raise some, some good money. We'll work on the numbers. We could raise some good money for whatever charity you want to raise money. We'll give it to Comic Relief. You like that one? You live in such an insulated world where your entire audience is bobbleheads sitting on the dashboard of the family truckster as you make your way down a bumpy road. Everybody is nodding in agreement with you that you really have no idea what the world is like out there. If you only get your news from ABC News or from MSNBC or from, God forbid, just the producers, the just out of college liberal activists with the producer credit, you have no idea what the hell is going on in the world. If the only people you interact with are people who are also in your co-op building, 
in Manhattan on the Upper East Side, you really don't have a view of reality. Whoopi Goldberg did not grow up rich, but she became rich when she was pretty young. Most people who become rich eventually work their way up. In show business, you start making money 18, 19 years old, you're, you're rich. And she's been in that business forever. She's made some god-awful movies, but she is an EGOT winner. So she's won every major award, but she's made some god-awful movies too, and she was paid for those movies. She's got money. She's making, I think it was $8 million or $10 million a year doing The View. She's not rolling around with people she grew up with who are, you know, there's not too many people in her immediate vicinity who say with their jobs, would you like fries with that? Her worldview is polluted. And her worldview makes her actually look really stupid. This is why I think ABC News should be like, we can't have this product going out under our moniker. It's bad. It makes us all look bad. Of course, there's no journal, there's no standards in journalism anymore, so you can do whatever the hell you want. Speaking of no standards, Sonny Houston. It was like a stupid off. You know, there's a, in Zoolander, it's a walk off, it's a walk off. And the view every day, it's a stupid off. The audience is the David Bowie of it that comes out to judge the quality of the the stupiding. But Sonny Houston, she's allegedly a lawyer. She went to law school in any event. She is a professional race baiter. She is a professional victim. Everything that comes out of her mouth is through the, the lens of race, which makes her wildly boring. Wildly, it also damages her cause. Like, sometimes there is a reason, and there is racism, but if you, everything is racism, then people just tune it out. You're a one-trick pony. That's why when Al Sharpton cre- cries, this is racism, people just kind of yawn. Like, I, I remember when you burned down a chunk of New York, when you got a guy killed at Freddy's Fashion Mart over fake cries of racism. I remember all the anti-Semitic crap you said. So you crying racism doesn't really ring true. Doesn't I don't care. Same thing with Sonny. But it doesn't matter. She went off on a rant about Republicans and higher education and diversity. And now in this first clip, there is something hilariously wrong with this. Stupid, really. Embarrassing. A normal human being would have spotted it but there's nobody in Sonny's world who tells her no, so she didn't spot it. And this went out over the air. See if you can spot it yourself. What we're seeing by the Republican Party, and I give it to them, we're seeing a long game. We're seeing that they are dismantling or attempting to dismantle institutions. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, the most elite colleges in, and universities in the world, which, by the way, they all went to. Everybody in the Supreme Court went there. Elise Stefanik went there. All the Congress people went there. Ted Cruz went there. Those schools are not good enough anymore because I think because now people that don't look like them were getting in. Affirmative action, no more. Why? So that people that don't look like them don't get in. Yes, those evil whitey. Wait, what? What was the name of the second person she named? The evil whitey that was benefiting and hated affirmative... Oh, Cruz. Cruz, like Tom Cruise? No, no, like C-R-U-Z, like Hispanic. 
Yes, that's right. Ted Cruz, not Tom Cruise, is a Hispanic man, which means his children are Hispanic. But Sonny sitting there going, uh, they just don't like it because it now doesn't look like them. Huh? What are you talking about? And there's a bit of a problem where Harvard was known to have been discriminating against Asian people. Sonny isn't really concerned about it. To the left, Asian people aren't really, they're more punching bags on the street for random people than they are human beings and members of a racial minority group. That's beside the point. But I will say, again, just to point out the absurdity and stupidity of Sonny's, uh, well, first of all, Sonny is basically saying that, what, minorities can't get in, particularly black people, since Ted Cruz is there, so she's got to be ignoring Hispanics, and the left doesn't consider Asians to be minorities. So she's talking about black people. Sonny is saying that black people can't succeed without government help, without the white savior complex coming into play and coming in and making things better. For, is that what she's saying? It's actually what most of these liberals are saying without actually realizing it. But that beside the point. The biggest beneficiary throughout all of society to affirmative action is white women. It's true. Because they have expanded affirmative action to mean everybody except white men. They'll soon add sexuality and gender identity to it. So they'll encompass some white men. So straight white men will be the only ones, whatever. But whatever. White women count as an affirmative action hire. They benefit from it. There's a hell of a lot more white women out there than there are a lot of other ethnic groups. In total, not just, you know, women. They are the beneficiaries of that. So if you want to talk about affirmative action, and Elise Stefanik, she theoretically could make an argument, you might be better off making the argument Elise Stefanik was admitted to Harvard because she was an, an, an affirmative action admission, or she benefits from affirmative action. But you can't say she walks around, walked around Harvard when she was there as a student and you know, got upset because people didn't look like her. A lot of people look like her. A lot of people who benefit from affirmative action look like her. Most people, in fact, were the largest percentage. But Sonny wasn't done. Sonny's never done. Stupid never stops. Women don't have reproductive rights anymore over their own bodies. Why? So they can have power over women. Why, are, why is French and Mandarin and Spanish being taken away from our public schools? so that we can be a monolistic, a, mono, a monolingual society and can't compete globally. We, the Republicans, are intentionally dumbing down our electorate, erasing history so that past can become prologue and so they can remain in power. Yeah, they're uh, rewriting history. They're doing this and the other. First of all, the worst performing school systems in the country are all in cities controlled exclusively and generationally by Democrats. That's beside the point. The idea that all Republicans, they're trying to whitewash and rewrite history. Just this week, the Biden administration up in Pennsylvania was going to, they'd planned on removing a statue of William Penn and the house of William Penn from Welcome Park up there in Philadelphia, in Pennsylvania, where William Penn, the founder of Pennsylvania, built his home. 
Because they said, the National Park Service said, under orders from the Biden administration, that it would make Native Americans upset. I love how white people are always offended on behalf of non-white people. It's, they've got the most hypersensitive radar, Associated Press, National Park, but now they've changed that, by the way. National Park Service withdrew a proposal Monday to take down a statue of William Penn at Philadelphia's historical site as part of a renovation that touched off a torrent of criticism over the legacy of the man who founded the province of Pennsylvania. In a brief statement, Independence National Historic Park said it has withdrawn the proposal it had announced quietly before the weekend about a wider renovation of the Welcome, of Welcome Park located just blocks from the Liberty Bell and the National Constitutional Center. They said it was premature. They're not done. They're going to come back and take another bite at this apple. They're just mad and upset and confused and changing their tune because people noticed. See? announced quietly before the weekend, hoping it would die down. And then, boom, by the time anybody noticed they were gone, it'd be too late. They'd be melted down into God knows what. But no, people noticed. There's nothing that terrifies the left more than an informed public. Keep that in mind. So I have one more clip of Sonny. You know, The View has the most ironically named hosts ever. Whoopi? Is there anybody that looks at Whoopi, listens to what Whoopi says and goes, Whoopi! Anybody think Joy Behar brings joy? And then Sunny. Do you think, do you, when you hear her, do you think, well, she's got a Sunny disc? They're all ironically named over there. They should have a, a national search for their next panelist to just be named Smart, just to continue the trend. Anyway, here goes Sonny complaining about white people again. And, well, it's pretty ironic. And it's grievance politics at its best. And it's because people see what Sarah was saying. I can't pay my electric bill. My, my gas bill's high. I, I need my food. And why is that? Why is my station in life like this? It's because that black guy got into Harvard and became president. Or it's because that immigrant is over there doing better than not driving a nicer car than I'm driving. It's grievance politics, but culture wars specific. And I wish people could see it in that way because this is not by accident. It's amazing to me. She just spent a minute, minute and a half bitching about Whitey and talking about grievance politics. It's grievance politics. You just engaged in grievance politics for the last you know minute, right? The same paragraph in your monologue there is, is what you're accusing at the end. These Republicans, these white people, they just don't want people who don't look like them around there, especially the white Hispanic people like Ted Cruz. And these Republicans, are all, they're all out to get minorities. They want to keep minorities down. And they're all about grievance politics. Wait a second. What? Are you aware of what you're... Look, I get that they don't really listen to each other on there. If you watch that show, they talk over each other, they talk around, except for when, you know, they, they don't really want to address, they don't care. They just don't care what the other person says. They've got what they've been programmed to say and they say it. But they don't even listen to themselves. I can't blame them. I don't blame them. God, if I were them, I wouldn't want to listen to myself either. But it's just kind of funny to sit there and say, well, this is, that's what you're doing. That's what you're doing. The ladies on the show, they don't pay attention, but some, there's nobody in the, in the production side who goes, oh, my God, she just, 
She just did exactly what she's saying. The other side, she just did it. Nobody, maybe nobody pays attention to it. I don't know. I, I couldn't blame them if they didn't, but it seems a little weird to me and hilarious. If it weren't so destructive to society and the fabric of society and so divisive to uh, human beings, it'd be more problematic but I can at least take comfort in the fact that very few in the grand scheme of things people watch The View, but the half million to a million who do every day, sadly, their vote counts as much as yours does. So that's why you've got to stay motivated and vote no matter what, because the idiots on The View and the idiots who watch it will, whether you do it or not. All right, so that's about enough for today, ladies and gentlemen. Go to bed, get some, or go to work, or whenever the hell you listen to this thing. I don't know when you listen to it. If it weren't so far ahead of the curve, it would be out of date by the time it got to you. But damn, it's always timely and always charming and wildly humble. Probably the most humble show there is. I mean, by a lot. It's probably not even close. Anyway, have yourself a great Wednesday. We'll be back to do it all again tomorrow. Thanks for listening.